We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, as we dive into it, and you kind of already jumped into this a little bit, it's it's yeah. the reason is Marcus Freeman. Now, does that mean that we believe Marcus Freeman is a championship coach right now? No, because there went nine and four and ten and three in his tenure, and they've had some bad losses in both years. It's not that he's there yet. You talked about it. There's still the learning process, but there are some things that he showed this year during the season. And in the offseason, and even at times last year, that says, yes, I have some questions, but he showed me something. And I'm going to say this again because I think this matters, and I don't know if this is getting enough attention. When you watched Marcus Freeman against Wake Forest and Stanford, and if all you did was focus on Marcus Freeman, you'd have thought Notre Dame was losing 45-7 to and losing 56-23. to because there just yeah. was this pissed offness to him the entire end of the season to where you just knew, despite the fact, like the, the difference is two years prior, if they were in a similar situation, we know we'd have been hearing excuse after excuse after excuse about why Notre Dame was falling short. The previous coach would make those excuses even before they lost games. I, I remember watching, listening to Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson talk about their conversation with Brian Kelly before the Wisconsin game in 2021 when Notre Dame was undefeated. And it's just all these excuses for, well, this team isn't going to be this, this, or this. It's like you have already sowed the seeds of this team is not going to get to that top, even though you're undefeated right now. And there's all these excuses about, you know, we don't have a chef and we don't have this and we don't have that. And you don't hear that. You saw a coach that looked at his team and said, we are not where we're supposed to be and I'm pissed about it. And there's going to be no excuse making. And I don't care that we're blowing out Wake Forest. That's not why I was hired at Notre Dame. That's not why I I wanted the Notre Dame job. I don't care that we beat a 3-9 and Stanford team. Doesn't matter. That's not how you gauge yourself at Notre Dame. You saw a coach that was pissed off about how his team was not where it was supposed to be and should have been this season. And and that So, like, we can look at this season and say – was it a failure? No, it wasn't a failure. They took a positive step forward. It just wasn't the step it should have been. It wasn't anywhere close 
to the step it should have been. But we don't now have to spend the entire offseason battling the head coach who's trying to convince us that, no, 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 it was a successful season. Because I watched the head coach at Notre Dame this year be pissed off and cranky the last two weeks of the season and throughout bowl prep because he knew the missed opportunity this program had. And then when he followed it up with some really hard decisions, I'm firing this guy because he's not getting the job done. I'm going to you know, encourage other people to maybe look around or when another coach who – I'm not saying he encouraged Jared Parker to, to look around, but when he did, he said, okay, well, the replacement for him, we're going out and getting the best. And the fact that the school supported that. But, like, you got to go push for that. You've got to fight for that. Yeah. You've got to make your case why it makes sense for the school to spend money on Mike Denbrock and Lauren Landau and why he basically said to Chad Bowden, go get me that kid, right? Go get me that kid. And why they're so aggressive in the portal. You know, talk about, you know, there's frustration that Notre Dame can't get undergrad transfers. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. Riley Leonard, not a graduate. Bo Collins, not a graduate. Those are two huge pickups for Notre Dame, not graduates. So clearly he's fighting the fights that need to be had, and the school is working with him. But they're not going to work with you if you don't give them reason to work with you. And there's just this clear belief at Notre Dame, like that this guy wants it. This, If we give him this, he's going to utilize it and build it and get us closer. And I think that's the first thing that says, yes, Marcus Freeman has a lot to learn about being a head coach and being a champion. But the fact is he has the desire and he has the willingness to do what it takes and he doesn't settle. That golden standard stuff isn't just talk because I watched him coach a team that didn't live up to that golden standard and he was pissed about it. And we haven't heard one single excuse from Marcus Freeman this year about why the team fell short. We've had, we've heard explanations, but no excuses. And then you look at how he's done this offseason. They're actually, to me, they're just, they're killing the offseason right now in a lot of different ways. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I would say this, that any team that's worth 
anything. They they have a identity that is created by the person that makes those decisions by Marcus Freeman. And I think when you look across college football, especially, I mean, the teams that are consistently good football teams or in the potential of winning championships, or at least being in the conversation, they have coaches that they have an identity and there's no question about it, right? Like there's no ever jockeying for, you know, is this the right decision? Is this not the right decision? I mean, we could say all we want about certain coaches in college football. Like Jim Harbaugh is a weirdo. I mean, I've said this multiple times on the show. He's a weird dude, but you know what? That team believes in whatever he's preaching, man. They believe in it. They do. They're bought in a hundred percent bought in. Even, even with him flirting with job offers over the last couple of years, that team is still believes in Jim Harbaugh and what he preaches and what he's created in Michigan. They still do. You you just talked about a mannerism for Marcus Freeman as far as being pissed off on the sideline and just not being okay with mediocrity or less than the standard. Nick Saban's that way. Nick Saban's always been that way. Has Nick Saban ever looked happy on a sideline? I've seen him get like Gatorade dunked after games, and it's just like he still looks pissed off. I, I don't know it, but ultimately, why does his team work so hard? Why does the team believe in him? Because he expects perfection. He expects the best. It is not a done job until a player hits their potential and their ceiling. That's ultimately what you see in Alabama. That's what you saw in Michigan this year. That's what you've seen in Georgia under Kirby Smart. They have expectations for each and one of their players to be a part of this system and to be their absolute best on a day-to-day perspective. And I think Marcus Freeman has that in him, right? Is he going to be a championship coach? I have no idea. But what does he have that is similar to the other coaches that we have seen win national championships? He demands perfection. He demands the standard. He doesn't just cut corners. He doesn't scapegoat. He takes everything on the chin. Why were you you not successful, coach? It's my fault, right? We need to do a better job. We as a collective need to do better than that. There's no scapegoating around here at Notre Dame. So whether Notre Dame wins a championship or not, When we look back at the Marcus Freeman era, at least we'll know that there was never any excuses built in. Was he the right hire? Was he not the right hire? Will he win a championship? Will he not win a championship? Those are questions that still remain to be answered. But ultimately, from the process-driven side of things, he's the guy I want leading the Notre Dame program fundamentally. A person that is going to take the criticism, that is going to take the feedback, and keep growing. And I think that when you ask what do what is a championship level coach a consistent potential championship level coach a team that is taking teams to division championships or conference championships excuse me to playoff potential berths to championship level they all demand that right there's never any this is good enough it's fine we're okay maybe next year no that's not the standard and marcus freeman when they are achieving the standard you can tell that he is relishing in achievements for his players and he's happy for them when they aren't he isn't and that's never going to change i i don't think under marcus freeman because we have only seen a little bit of a taste but ultimately that desire i think is incredibly high so i think that you need that type of person at the top of a program you need a guy that's going to be demanding you need a guy that's going to be accountable and you need a guy that knows that your player is there as a as a parent for a second right My kid is going there because he is demanding my kid to be the best possible version of themselves because they have a higher standard for what their program is building. What's happening right now during our show is a perfect example, Ryan. Notre Dame's not selling. They're not content. Notre Dame just picked up Jaden Harrison in the transfer portal, just announced he's committed to Notre Dame. 
kid from Marshall. Jane Harrison. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was their leading receiver this year? Not not a he hasn't been a dynamic receiver to this point this year. I think he led their team this year with like okay. 28 catches, 400 yards, but he was a first team All-American okay. kick returner this year. Oh, he averaged okay. over 30 yards a kick return, and he was the first team kick returning, uh, first team All-American by the Football Writers Association of America, Walter Camp mm. Football, which is two of the five that makes up consensus and unanimous All-American honors. Was also first team on Athlon Sports, first team on CBS, first team on Fox, and first team on Phil Steele. And his okay. two kick, well, I, I guess I'll be watching some film on yeah, James Harrison, like right? That, I guess. And and his <laughs> and his two kick returns were against James Madison and Georgia Southern this season. So, you know, you talk about a guy that's averaging over 30 yards per kick return this year, 23 kick returns on the season, and a guy that brings some, some you know, again, only had 28 catches this year, 14.6 yards per catch. Uh, two years ago in 2021, he was part of the, you know, receiver rotation. He caught 24 passes for 269. So it hasn't really manifested itself into an impact receiver yet, but this is one of those moves where it's like, Okay, now that Jadarian Price is going to be a bigger part of the running back rotation, now you can bring in a specialist right. over here to handle that. And part Jeremiah Love, but obviously right. as well. But it's yeah. kind of like, yep. is there a need for a kid like this? I'd say no, but it's like, but so what? We're going to get as many talented players here as we can, and if our current players don't like it, yep, then you can go into the portal because we're trying <laughs> to win here. You know, right. and 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 that's a that's a challenging that's a balancing act you have to 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 handle, and I, and we'll dive into that in, in future shows. Of you know, Notre Dame has to be careful because if they're going to be a high school driven team, then you need to still be willing to you know you don't chase out your 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 high school kids. However, when you when you look at it, Ryan, you still have to say, but if we see a chance to get better, we're going to take it. And right. this is another example of of a COVID kid. You know he's a he he'll be a fifth year senior next year. He is a graduate. Okay. This will be a fifth year guy that's played four years uh, at, at Marshall. So it's just one of those things, Ryan. When when you look at this football team and you say, "Boy, this team just does not. They just don't settle." You know, talking to some people, you know, today this kid's like a supposedly like a four three four four kind of kid. He's like five eleven one ninety five. He's got some dynamic ability. It's not bad will, size for that type no, of role either. No, I mean, so, and it's yeah. kind of like, will he will he make an impact on this team? Don't know. We'll find out. But Sounds the fact like of the matter is, at least, yeah. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, Ryan, they're taking there's there's taking their shots. Will Riley right. Leonard be the quarterback to bring Notre Dame a championship? No idea. But they t- they went out and got the best quarterback in the portal market, in my opinion. Is Bo Collins and Chris Mitchell going to you know move the needle at wide receiver? Don't know. We'll have to find out. But they took their shot. And those are two talented yep. kids you take your shot with. Is RJ Open yep. going to be able to do for Notre Dame what Javante Jean Baptiste did? No idea. We'll have to find out. But dude, that's one of the best edge rushers on the market that that was a fit for who you who you're trying to be. And yep. so that's the thing you get excited a kid that about. I thought what it's going to be getting ready for the NFL right now. Right. So, yep, right. Yep, yep, and yep. and so the only kid to get a sack against Joe Alt the last two years, by the way. So an asterisk next to that sack. Stolen asterisk next to it. Agree, (laughs) agree completely. But the reality is, Ryan, is they're taking their shot. And that's the thing about Marcus Freeman. And that kind of gets into point number two. The talent acquisition we're seeing at Notre Dame is as good as – this This is no doubt. It's as good as it's been since the Lou Holtz era. And that's not debatable for me. And now we can get into the development and all that, and that will be a future show. But you, you can't win without talent, Ryan. 
And, yep. and, you know, we could debate, does Notre Dame have more talent than Michigan and all that? And are they, do they have more talent than Texas or Washington? And my answer to that's going to be in some spots. Yes. In other <laughs> spots, no. But the answer used to be no, they don't to not right. Michigan, but like Bama and Georgia. But I mean, I, I look at Georgia and I'm like, there are skill positions that I would not trade Notre Dame's players for their players. Sure. And if you did, and some places it's a wash. You know what I mean? Like they're pretty good too. So is Notre Dame. You know, you yeah. can look at running back. Uh, do, am I going to argue that Notre Dame's backs are better than better than Bama's? We can have that debate. But the fact of the matter is, it's a debate. It's a discussion. Who has more talent at receiver the next year, Notre Dame or Bama? It's a debate. Who would I rather have a quarterback next year, Riley Leonard or Jalen Milrow? For me, it's not a debate. Yeah. It's Riley Leonard. And there's other yeah. spots where it's like Bama's better than Notre Dame there right now. Sure. You know, Bama had great corners this year. I think Notre Dame's were every bit as good. You know, I mean, so we can have those conversations. Caleb Downs was phenomenal for Alabama this year. Xavier yep. Watts was phenomenal for Notre Dame, right? And and it didn't used to be that way. They'd have like that one guy, like in 2020, it was like, yeah, Jeremiah Wusukoromo and Kyle Hamilton. They could play with anybody. But then you're yep. also competing against them with like Shane Simon and Clarence Lewis and guys that you're just like, you can't beat that team with those guys as your primary players. You're just not going to do it. You know, and, and so that's the thing is like the talent acquisition in a hurry has gotten better. And a big part of it is Marcus Freeman started demanding changes when he came as the D coordinator. This right. is what we got to remember. One of the things that he demanded when he came to Notre Dame is I'm a package deal with Chad Bowden. <laughs> package deal. If he come, if I come, he comes. If he doesn't come, yep. I don't come. And that was brilliant because immediately you saw the defensive recruiting ramped up. And, yes. and, and you see what his staff has done and some of the guys that, that Dre Brown and Caleb Davis, who's now off for Troy and some of those oh, other yeah. guys, right? Like, like these guys are recruiting and, and, and evaluating to me at an elite level, right? I mean, you were just at the all-star game. You watched before yep. he got banged up, you watch Cam Williams. You're like, this dude's as good as anybody out here, except yep. Jonathan Smith, maybe. You know, you Jeremiah watch Smith. Yeah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Smith. Smith. Yeah. You watch Kingston, Viliama Austin. You're like, there's not a linebacker here. It's better than that guy. You look at Bryce yep. Young and you're like, this guy can hang with any big time D in there. You to me, he started over five star LJ McCray in the game. He did. Right. And, did. And, and there's guys that weren't in bowl games. And I'm like, dude, I'll stack that guy up against anybody, you yep. know? And so, I mean, uh, and, and then, and then guys like Bodie Cahoon go to the new all under, under armor game. And I have, you know, Tom Lemming text me like, dude, that is. And I don't even think Tom was like super high on Bodie when he committed, but no. he was like, that was the best linebacker they had on that yeah. roster on either he side. He was even like, was saying on another show, Ryan, that he's as, he's close to Kingston Villamasa. Athletically, right? right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's saying something, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, so it is the ability to add talent and 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 to as somebody in the chat just pointed out, it's not just going offense and defense. I mean, you're now adding to your special teams with guys like Jaden Harrison yes. and Mitch Jeter. Right. Yep. It's it's not ignoring a part of the game that Brian Kelly seemed to ignore way too much. And you and, and I would argue at LSU. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would argue that sometimes Marcus Freeman puts too many starters on his special teams. Where I'd like to see him do more young. Now they did a little better job of that this year, but sometimes like, hey man, this is where you can get a Drake Bowen more involved. This is where you can get a Jaden Osbury more involved, right? That that's that's that trussle ball right there, man. He's like, dude, I had to play special teams for three years and I was a starting linebacker. You gotta right. do it too. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but but so it, it is interesting, but it's just the talent acquisition in Notre Dame, Ryan, has taken a huge jump. 
It really yeah. has. And this is just another example of it right here with Jaden Harrison. Is this guy going to move the needle as a wide receiver? No idea. But he's got a chance to move the needle in I mean, the return game. Yeah. I mean, as, as long as he just can give you some ability to work. I haven't seen the kid play. But ultimately, yeah. when you're a big-time kick he's returner, dynamic. that usually means you're fast, right? That usually means you can yeah. run pretty fast. He's got so, three kick returns in his career for touchdowns, by the way. He's yeah. got three. So, at worst, he's going to improve the – kick return game you know maybe he'll handle punt return too i, I don't know again kind of got to do a little bit more digging on him but as long as he's a just guy he hasn't done any punt returning so far yeah. okay just so okay. far so he hasn't done any it's been it's been receiver and kick returns got so it. far so yeah so obviously dig into him a little bit deeper but he is going to help improve your kick return game which was maddingly inconsistent this year. You know, like you saw moments where it was like okay Jadarian Jadarian Price breaks long one he's starting to break a couple more um, but also, you know, in the beginning of the season, especially like it just wasn't good. Like it just was not a good unit overall. It got better, but you add a player that could potentially bolster that. And I mean, it's a great, I think the transfer portal is a great foundational thing for me, Brian, because I do agree with you in the sense that there is a point where it's too much, right. And you kind of compromise your pitch to wanting to be a high school recruiting school, but ultimately I think it's a great sign for Notre Dame on the transfer portal front that, I remember when the transfer portal became a thing at first, we were just kind of like, I don't know how Notre Dame's going to navigate this thing. I'm not really sure because at first it was, they can take just grad transfers. They can only take young cats that just got into college and haven't even gotten into their real course load or the coursework yet. So it was kind of, you had kind of were hamstrung a little bit. You were hand, you were handcuffed to a degree as far as how you could attack the portal. And we saw last year, it was like they made a couple portal additions, but it wasn't the volume, right? Like it wasn't a tremendous volume compared to some schools. Well, this year, Notre Dame is attacking that guy, man. Like now you have three wide receivers on the portal. You have a quarterback. You have a, a kicker that's a big-time dude. You have a defensive end that's a nice player. You have a you have a nickel in Jordan Clark that has come to the team as well. As Obviously, I know they're still looking at the safety position potentially as well. So they are attacking needs in the portal. And that shows me, what does that show? That shows growth. You had a little bit of an early period where you were like, hmm, let's figure out how to best figure the transfer portal out. There wasn't any like rush to judgment, rush to action. I feel like early on in this process, the transfer portal was kind of Notre Dame had to figure out how to navigate it more appropriately, right? And like what works for us, what what doesn't work for us. And I think you're seeing that dividends. And what does that show you? One, obviously you're at, you're adding talent to your roster. That's a no doubter. But two, that means that there was a growth mindset here as well from the coaching staff and from the recruiting staff to be like, hey, we need to do that a little bit more. We need to figure out how to get kids in school more efficiently. We need to figure out how to find the key fits that can find Notre Dame and be successful at Notre Dame. So I think transfer portal is showing growth overall. And obviously we look at recruiting. The, the main thing that you talked about, and I think I just talked about it in an article, was when Marcus Freeman first got here just as a defensive coordinator before he was in the head coach, what was something that he wanted to improve on? And he was very open about it. I want to get longer and more athletic, longer, more athletic. That is paramount to Notre Dame getting to the next level. And even if you want to poke holes in the 2024 class, because there are some boomer bust guys, right? There are some high ceiling, lower floor type of dudes, but ultimately they are gambling on athleticism and length in certain spots. And I am okay with taking that gamble nine times out of 10, man. I really am because ultimately what raises your ceiling athletes length, 
that raises the ceiling of the program potentially. And you see what they're doing in 2025 when they continue with talent acquisition. I mean, they have a chance to get maybe one of their best defensive line groups since that Stefan Tuitt year, right? Where they got Tuitt and Lynch and Ishak Williams. Like they have a chance to be in that realm cornerback wise. If they're able to get a Dallas Golden and maybe somebody else, that cornerback group's going to be pretty much as good as what Mike Mickens has been able to do. The safety class in 2025 is going to be stellar. Imagine if they add Jadon Blair to that two man group that they have right now. That has a chance to be special. So, yes. Talent acquisition from a recruiting perspective, obvious. But the transfer portal is the side where I look at it and say, they've learned how to navigate it a little better in just a year. They've learned that because they, they want to learn it because they know that you know being young is, is all well and good in certain in- instances, but there are some other positions where you want experience. You want guys to be able to come in and be able to help your team in the year 2024. Notre Dame's navigation of the transfer portal to me is a great sign that I look at and say, they know how to do this. They're figuring it out. They are taking a growth mindset to the situation and they are getting a lot of talent in this room, obviously. At the end of the day, Ryan, we can talk all we want about development and all those things are important. It is very important. When you watch Michigan play, I don't care what you think of the cheating scandal, what you think of Harbaugh, all those other kind of things. They're, those are all legitimate. He's a weird dude. But as you said, he's always been a good football coach. Going back to his oh, days in San, at San Diego, uh, yes. you can say whatever you want about the cheating scandal, and I have very strong feelings about that to the point where I've said Michigan didn't belong on the state on this level. They didn't belong in the playoff because of how egregious I think what they did was. Having said that, what you cannot deny is that as that team has maximized the talent they do have on that roster, in my opinion. I'm watching guys make plays last night that I'm like, that guy would not start at Notre Dame. Yeah. Right? Talent-wise. They develop at a high level. Having said that, you also can't deny at some very important positions, Michigan does have big-time talent. They did oh, yeah. have a corner that's good enough to – to yes, Roma Dunze got him a couple times. That's going to happen, but he also right. got Rome a lot. yards this game, year. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. I right. mean, that's your right. – when you play great receivers, they're going to make some catches. But can you keep and, them in check more yeah. often than not? Can you make life hard on them? Sure. He did all – Will Johnson did all that. That was a battle of two great players. Both won some battles. But to me, overall, the Michigan DBs – got the better of that matchup. Even when they gave up catches, you there was like almost no yards after catch outside of a couple screens, but just Great the tackling. in-space stuff. Yeah. And then yep. you just look at other things, and you're like, boy, those D-tackles were just eating Washington alive last yes. night, right? Like, So in some key spots, Michigan does have to – but I'm not – you're not – are they going to have a lot of guys drafted? Yes. Do I think some of their guys might get overdrafted? Absolutely. Do I think they have the kind of talent that we've seen in recent years from like Georgia and LSU? Not even close. But they are an incredibly well-developed football team. But the yep. point of the, the fact of the matter is, they didn't take a bunch of bums and coach them into champions. You do need talent. You need Absolutely. talent at the right spots, you and 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 that's where that's where they have it. And and even in some spots where I don't think they're as talented as people think, but they're 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 very well coached. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame has had talent deficiencies in the past at important positions. And it was different right. from year to year. In 2018, yep. they didn't have a talent deficiency at, at cornerback. They had a depth deficiency at cornerback. 2020, right. they had a talent deficiency at quarter, cornerback. And so it's been different each year at Notre Dame. 
But the fact of the matter to me, Ryan, is when I look at Notre Dame's roster right now and I think of where it is, I see a team that is either as good as just about anybody, meaning like they're in that debate, that top five debate, or they're mm-hmm. getting there. They're right. almost there from a talent standpoint. Is the defensive line where it needs to be for the future to dr- truly be elite? Debatable, but it's getting right. closer. If if you don't think it is, it's at least you have to admit it's getting closer. That sure. I think is something we can all agree on, not just from the current talent, but also the future talent. And and so and, and we talked obviously this yesterday about one of those guys with Notre Dame landed Chris Burgess. And then, of course, they're still recruiting Damian Shank, Damian Shanklin. And you look at the incoming class with Bryce Young and, and Cole mm-hmm. Mullins and Logan Thomas and Sean Savoyano and, and, and those type of players, right? Josh Burnham moving to defensive end. I think he's got a chance to be a, a dude if he can you know, learn the nuances of the position. Linebacker, the town of linebacker, just in a short period of time, is raised enormously. Yep. What Mike Mickens has done at cornerback. Safety is we're very concerned about safety position this season. But when you look at the future of the position, you're talking about a Don Schuler and Ben yep. Minnick and Luke Talich in one class. And then you follow that up with Bronte Johnson, who I think has a chance to be a dude. Tabron Benny Powell, Kennedy Erlacher. And then you're going to follow it up with maybe your best safety class in a long time. You've already got Ivan awesome. Taylor and Ethan Long, who are outstanding, and they're still recruiting Jadon Blair, who yep. they want to add to that class. I mean, if you get Jadon Blair, all of a sudden I'm looking at safety position like, all right, gap closed, right? I mean, from a pure talent acquisition I, standpoint. I, I don't know what the last time that – I mean, when would, when would be the last time they had a safety class like that? Like that's – I mean, that's a that's a kid because Ivan Taylor is ranked as a top 35 player by two different platforms. I know that Jadon is at least a top 50 kid by one, but like I look at Jadon, I'm like, dude, that dude is about a five-star upside yeah. kid in my opinion. Like he's Ryan, special, man. probably have to go back to 2018 when they got Houston Griffith and Derek Allen. Now it didn't pan out, but that was two yeah. highly ranked guys. Sure. Uh, sure. Now Houston, I wasn't as high on as some of the national services. Derek Allen, I was. That was a guy that yeah. I thought was going to be a lot better than he was. He was a but again, team, right? I think, it, yeah. From Georgia. Mm-hmm. yeah. But then in 2019, they get Kyle Hamilton and 2020 they pretty much strike out at in 2020 at safety you know i mean the, the safety they got in 2020 was a converted wide receiver right i mean they just 2022 they completely struck out at safety in 2022 class so you yep. went from yeah one year it's good then you get hamilton the next year that was probably the best back-to-back class and then after that you're just you're falling short and you're not getting the numbers yep. that you need to get to and so that that was always the problem, Ryan, is, is they would get a player here, they'd get a player there, but there was yep. never any consistency, you know? Sure. And and so, actually, I think they struck out in 2020 as well. They did not get a wide receiver, or they did not get a safety in the 2020 class. The, now, Xavier Watts became one, but they didn't recruit Xavier Watts to play safety at Notre Dame. They recruited him to play wide receiver. Then right. you look at the 2021 class, and they landed Kari G. That was the safety they got, and Justin Walters. Mm-hmm who were nice depth players, you know, special teams guys. I thought Justin Walters, if he Curry was the guy out, that they flipped late, right? Like he was the LSU guy yes. originally or something yeah. like that, right? And, and yeah. they flipped him. And then 2022, you strike out. So there was always this, yeah. you couldn't stack them together. If they get, even if they don't get Jadon Blair, you've stacked three pretty good safety classes together. If you get Jadon Blair, you've now, your third year of stacking three classes together is an elite group. I mean, again, yeah. that's, that's a gap closing group. And and so even the positions that were question marks as recently as a year ago are now looking like they're trending in a direction. I used to hear when, when Audrey Denson was going, you, you know, top running backs don't want to come Notre Dame. They don't want to come Notre Dame. 
Okay, and then right. Lance Joseph shows up, and they get Chris Tyree. Lance Taylor. And the next year, they get right. Yeah, yeah what I say, Lance Joseph. Lance Joseph. Good lord, I've been <laughs> up lately. I, I kept saying Clarence Thomas the other day instead of Clarence Lewis. Mm. Um, but Lance Taylor shows up. They get Chris Tyree yep. with him, and with a big assist from Chip Long. The next year, they strike out on Will Shipley, and then they rebound by getting Audric Estime and Logan Diggs. The Could next year, they come out and get Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne. The next year yep. they come out and get Jeremiah Love. The next year they come out and get Kedron Young and Aeneas Williams, right? The mm-hmm. Missouri player of the year with over 150 career touchdowns, and he's not even the top back in the class. You know <laughs> what I mean? Wow. It's just like it's absurd. And it's like, well, okay, you can't recruit receivers. Yeah, you can. You may not be able to coach them, but talent hasn't been a problem running through the receiver room for Notre Dame in recent years. And it's just hey kind of like that. I, I just I just saw a post about how good of a job Dell Alexander did at UNLV this year. Just an amazing job as the wide receiver coach at UNLV. <laughs> I was send it to you. I forgot to. <laughs> yeah, freaking hilarious. You know, but you just look at it, Ryan, and, and I ask my I ask yourself a couple years ago when Mark Seam was hired, you and I could point to quarterback is another one where yeah. I don't know that there's many teams that have recruited quarterback as well in back to back to back years as Notre Dame. There's some teams in the conversation, but Notre Dame's in in that conversation. And and you you say two years ago, you and I could point to because when you first got hired here and you started in early 2022, we would have looked at defensive lines a question mark about talent. You know, I mean, how's that going to be? It was actually 2021. You know, defensive lines a question mark about where Notre Dame is. Uh, you look at no, was it yeah, 22 seasons? So it's been 2022. Yeah. You know, yep. you, you, safety's a major question mark. Receiver recruiting has been a bit of a mess. You look at all these, you know, offensive line is kind of a weird. They're getting some good guys, but then they're getting guys that can't play. Quarterback's a hot mess. And there's all these troubling positions. And now I ask you, where right now, what position is Notre Dame struggling to recruit good players right now? With 2025 included, it's it's not safety anymore. I mean, you right. know, exactly. you're getting there, obviously. Exactly. So, yeah. You're and, trying and, in the right direction, right? Uh, specialists. They don't. They don't. They don't really do a good job high of high school specialists. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> they did get the number one long snapper in the country to commit to pay his own way to come to Notre Dame. It's but, true. but like place kicker, right? They haven't offered. They haven't landed a high school kicker in a couple of years. They're not trying to. Yeah. But to your point, I, I get the sarcasm behind that comment too. I, I enjoyed that very sure. much. But the point yeah. is, are there positions that they still need to get better? Sure. Right. Yeah. Until you win a championship, yes, you need to get better. But there's nowhere where you're like, gee, I don't, I don't think they have guys that can become stars. Now you could say a defensive line, there's there's a ton of like low floor, high ceiling guys, and and will they pan out? And that's a very fair thing to state. But the ceilings that they're bringing in, Ryan, are outstanding. I mean, Logan Thomas and Bryce Young are two guys we agree on. I tend to like Cole Mullins a little better than you, but we both think he's a good football player. Uh, you look yep. at 2022 class, Josh Burnham is now at that defensive line position. Tyson Ford is still a kid with, with some tools to work with. Like, I'm not ready to give up on him. You know, Brennan Vernon, Armo Mukum, Bubokar Traore is the guy that was number one on my board for upside guy. He was not slightly number two, and he was number two for you behind another defensive lineman, right, yes. in Armel Mukum. And so, yes, there's some floor-to-ceiling different gaps for Notre Dame right now where George is getting guys can kind of come into play right away. And that's a fair thing to point out. But the ceilings, Ryan, are yep. so high, and they're smartly stacking numbers. Because if you stack a lot of numbers and they're all high ceiling guys, you're going to have a lower hit rate than Georgia. But because you sure. brought in so many guys, you're going to be where you need to be. Because well, I would, good, I, you know, I, I, I mean? know we're. 
I know we're going to talk about parody here in a little bit too, Brian, but like, I also think it's what did Michigan show us last night? It's that the better overall team won when won a national championship game, because although, and I, I agree with you hundred percent, Notre uh, Michigan is not stellar in a bunch of different positions. They have a couple positions where they're really good at, but overall, why was Michigan able to win a national championship? It's because they were pretty solid everywhere, right? They're solid to good at every single position. I looked at that. I remember we were talking about that during the season. I was just like, I think they're the most well-rounded team in college football because it's just like even their worst positions, quote unquote, they still have solid good players. Like it's not like it's it's not like it's a dumpster fire it's not like you're looking and being like there's nobody there like no answers at all it's still solid at least and i think that that's the formula and i know we'll talk about that more in parody with the parody section of this podcast but i think notre dame you raise the floor just by adding those good numbers because that's been the problem with notre dame in some years is that you don't have depth you don't have enough depth in certain spots like you even said it when they played like alabama in the 2012 national championship game it's like the, the top ranked players, the top players on each squad, you can put them up against anybody, but then you would just get worn down because Alabama's 10 through 30 is just way better than your 10 through 30. Like it's not even in the ballpark. Michigan showed last night that depth and good coaching can win a national championship in this current era of college football right now. They showed me that. And I think that's where Notre Dame's trending, man. Like there's not a lot of positions right now where I'm not, optimistic for the depth like that's the big thing right like wide receiver is becoming even when with the mass exodus that we saw after the chancy stucky situation you were going to go into that next year where you're like wide receiver six wide receiver seven on the depth chart pretty good man like you look at it, you're like that's a talented kid down there the running back is an embarrassment of riches one of I mean, you're probably going to have, if Steve Angeli sticks around with Riley Leonard leading the way, you're going to have quarterback three and four potentially, potentially. I mean, there's a there's a battle that needs to ensue. But you're going to have C.J. Carr and Kenny Minchie as potentially quarterback three and quarterback four in this depth chart. Like, it is a wild time as far as depth from Notre Dame. It's been a while since Notre Dame had these types of numbers at certain positions. I was talking to someone the other day, it might have been yesterday, then they were asking me about linebacker. And it's just like, some really talented linebackers are going to get buried on this depth chart. It's going to happen, folks. There's not enough snaps to feed these guys and to make everyone happy. Somebody is going to get buried, and that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. Because ultimately, if Marcus Freeman's able to get through to those guys and make them understand the full-time vision, they'll stay around. They'll stay around for a little bit, most of them. Not everybody, but some of them will stay around the depth that Notre Dame has created, I think, is great in this era because the baseline, the floor, is going to be very, very important moving forward. And if you're solid to good in every spot, and then you have a few key players that take you over the top, that's the recipe to win a national championship potentially right now. And that's what Michigan showed me last night. They showed me that that formula can win a national championship. And there wasn't too long ago where that formula put you in the conversation, but not typically over the top. But Michigan showed that that can be the conversation. No, I wasn't saying that some linebackers are going to transfer. Why do people say right. stuff like that in the chat? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, here's the other thing too, Ryan. You've you've made the statement multiple times that you think Kingston Viliama Os is going to start next year, and he might, he might. But the thing I think you'll also admit is it's not going to be easy. Oh no! And there's a chance he won't. And Why? They don't. They don't need they don't him. Play to. young guys because yeah. exactly. It's because yeah. that's a talented room, and even so, like it wasn't that long ago Kingston walks onto the team and he's starting. 
I mean, just because yep. he's by far your best player there. That may be so, true yeah. this year, but Drake Bowen, Jack Kaiser, Jalen Snead, Jaden Alsbury, Preston Zinner are all going to have something to say about that. And and yep. that's the thing you talk about. I mean, we're looking at a guy like Leonard Moore would have been your number three cornerback the day he showed up not that long ago. Might have started or, or Carson in 2020. Hobbs, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He would have started over. Once Tariq Bracey kind of had his mental collapse that season, he would have started yep. over Clarence Lewis. So would Carson Hobbs. And now they're like, they're going to be fourth, fifth at corner, you know, Wild. as freshmen. Yeah. And and so this the, the defensive tackle, Sean Savoyano plays a ton three, four years ago, maybe even re- more recently than that. Now it's like he's going to have to prove himself because there's a lot of dudes ahead of him, and that's true at a lot of places, right? I mean, Keedron Young walks in the door as your best running back not that long ago. He just yep. does. And it's true at receiver. It's true of tight end. It's just you're looking at a place now where Cooper Flanagan is going to have a hard time being above the number three tight end next year. Yeah, that's That's saying something. Right, I don't think he has a chance to climb above number three tight end next year, barring injury, and that has nothing to do with us not thinking Cooper Flanagan's a really good football player. That's just how right. loaded they are, and and it's a good place to be. Now we there's a lot of conversations to be had about development, and we'll get into that yes. in our show where we talk about where Notre Dame hasn't been good enough or where they have a lot to prove. But the exciting thing is, if the development is there, the talent is definitely there. And that's the, to me, the the most exciting thing, because I watch these teams and I don't have to convince myself that Notre Dame can handle themselves at certain positions. It's, dude, Notre Dame's corner. I, I didn't watch a single playoff game or New Year's Six game where I was like, that team's got better corners than Notre Dame. You say, well, they're on par with Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame's the standard of which I evaluate teams when it comes to certain position groups. And that's where you want to be. And it wasn't that way outside of tight end and offensive line for a long time. Because even to your point about depth, Ryan, Notre Dame had a cornerback tandem as good as anybody in college football outside. I think Clemson's was better that year. You know, Bama's was pretty decent that year. Like, they were in the conversation with Julian Love and Troy Pride. The problem was, once once Julian Love got hurt, the 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 (laughs) next guy in, it was a problem. Because you, you had to play Dante Vaughn, who should not have been playing. Like Dante Vaughn was injured. He was yeah. not healthy, but you had nobody else. You had to play him. And that's the that's the reason. I mean, Dante Vaughn spent several years in the National Football League. Guy started three games as a freshman, and that's it at Notre Dame. And he spent time in the NFL. That says something. But he was finally healthy in the NFL. That's what helped him. Right. But that's the thing is now, if in, in like now, if Notre Dame was in the playoff, they're in a cotton bowl and Benjamin Morrison goes down or Cam Hart goes down like Julian Love, you're throwing Christian Gray and Jaden Mickey out there. It's a whole different discussion. It's a whole different ball game. And that's kind of yeah. where you start getting excited about the future and why we're spending so much time on it, man, because it's just – it's like, and it's easy. You don't have to convince yourself, gee, is Notre Dame going to have enough talent at tackle in the next couple of years? Well, yeah, right? Like yeah. Joe Rudolph, dude, you have no excuses from a talent standpoint the next two years to build a really good offensive line. None. Zero. Yeah. Zip, zilch. Yeah. You know, and, and name me a position where it's like, you better coach your butt off, dude, because I don't know if you got the dudes. There isn't one. You know, it's like you got some raw tools and you've got some young kids, so you need to do a good job coaching to get those guys to, to turn the potential into p- production. But you you don't lack talent, man. You don't lack no. talent. 
like Bryce Young is going to come in and, and battle and struggle, I think, to kind of get a bunch of playing time as a freshman. Potentially. Potentially. Wasn't that long ago you needed him to come in and be in your two deep right away. Matter of fact, I think you could say two years ago, 2022, you would have needed him to come in and be, play right away. You had to move Riley Mills out to defensive end because you didn't have the dudes there. Where would Notre Dame right. have been this year if they didn't go to the portal and get Javante Jean-Baptiste at big end? Like that would have been a problem. Yep. So uh, the talent is exciting. And then number three, Ryan, you kind of get to the next point of this. It's the defense is already there. I mean, it's yep. just that's – Notre Dame's defense this year, they weren't perfect. Nobody was. But look, let, let me just give you some numbers on how the defense played this year. And, and I'll just say, look, the defense played like a championship unit this year. Notre Dame this season tied for first – or they were first in college football in pass efficiency defense, tied for first and fewest passing touchdowns allowed with Michigan. Second and lowest completion percentage allowed. Second in red zone defense. Third in red zone touchdown defense. Third in pass t- passing yards allowed. Third in passing yards allowed per pass attempt. Fifth in total defense. Fifth in yards allowed per play. Seventh in scoring defense. Seventh in fewest plays of 20 yards or more. Eighth in fewest plays of 40 yards allowed or more. Tenth in interceptions. And they were 13th in turnovers this season. Forced turnovers. Like and and their their weak spot on run defense, they finished twenty fourth. Yeah, that's an elite yeah. defense this year. They were an elite defense this year, in my opinion. And it, it's going to look different next year, obviously. But you have the building blocks to be as good or maybe better. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Notre Dame is a better defense in twenty twenty four. I mean, there's obviously question marks you need to answer, which we'll talk about all off season, but. Having Al Golden potentially back, right? Like, I know they're working on that contract extension for him, so they're able to get that working and get him back. You have some, I I would call them pillar players for the 2024 season that you already know what they are, right? Like, you already know that Benjamin Morrison is one of the better corners in college football. You already know that. You also already know that Xavier Watts was a first-team All-American. Had seven interceptions this season. Was a stellar player for Notre Dame and was a big time victory. One of Marcus Freeman's biggest victories this offseason was convincing Xavier Watts to come back for a fifth year. I mean, that was a tremendous job by him. So you have the two players in the secondary that are paramount for you being a very good defense in 2024. You also have the interior defensive line, which I would say, and you already mentioned this, Brian, but like it wasn't too long ago where the interior defensive line, you were just kind of like, man. I don't know, bro. Like, I don't, I don't know how good that unit's going to be nationally. But next year, I look at it and say, Riley Mills, Howard Cross, Jason Onye, Gabriel Rubio, a couple of the young cats, obviously, with Armel Mookum and Devin Houston, and then you're bringing in Sean Sevillano. Like, that is a not only very good unit up top, that's also a deep group. I mean, you're going to be able to rotate some bodies next year, especially if uh, Devin Houston and Armel Mookum take a step forward on top of Gabriel Rubio being able to stay healthy and having and having Jason Onye hopefully take another jump that we saw a little bit this year. I mean, you're going to have depth in that defensive line group, which is huge. Cause what was the big thing we saw last night, Brian, what, what, why was Michigan so successful defensively outside of Jesse Minter, just calling a really good game, that interior defensive line of Mason Graham and Kenneth and Kenneth Grant ate them alive, man. Like they could not do anything against that interior defensive line. Notre Dame should be very good up the middle next year, defensive line-wise. They should be very good, at least at one cornerback spot. They should be excellent at a safety position. And by the way, 
the guys that are replacing starters from last year that are leaving, the Cam Hartz, the J.D. Bertrands, the Maris Loifals, they're going to be faster at those spots most likely. That They're going to get more athletic, not as experienced, but you're going to have some young cats running around next year, the Christian Grays of the world, and hopefully the Adon Schulers and the Ben Minnicks of the world and the Drake Bowens of the world and Kingston Villiamo Asas of the world, J- you know, you're Jay Nosberries of the world. You are replacing veteran, really good football players with young but athletic dudes. And I think it's a great mix potentially in 2024. I'm so excited about the defense because I say, who are my dudes? I know who they are. I know Bench Morrison. I know Xavier Watts. I know Riley Mills. I know Howard Cross. I know my known commodities and my dudes. But you know what I also have? Balance of young, up-and-coming stars to go along with that. So the defense should be stellar, and it should be a very good mix of proven commodities and young, talented dudes that can move and can run. So Ryan, when when you look at the defense too, I think you hit you hit a, a certain part of this perfectly. Because defense, in my opinion, you've got to be coached well to be great. But no matter how well coached you are on defense, there's a level of talent that's needed that's greater than what it is on offense. Like like nobody takes a bunch of four eight skill players and turns them into a forty point per game team at the power five level, right? Like can sure. can we all admit that? You know, you don't take a weak-armed quarterback and four eight guys at running back and four eight guys at receiver and because your scheme is so great, you're going to score 40 points a game. No, you're still going to suck because you don't have players. But yep. you don't need quite the high level of player talent on offense to be really good that you that you do on defense. That's always been my belief. I've always felt like defense, you can you can only scheme yourself so far into success. You have to have good players to truly be elite, right, to truly be elite. Like, look yep. at Phil Parker at Iowa. You say, well, he, Phil Parker's – yeah, but he's putting dudes into the first round of the NFL draft and second round of the NFL draft he, constantly. He's, he's, take, he's taking under-recruited guys that have a lot of athleticism. I mean, exactly. Jack Campbell is – Jack Campbell's 6'5", ended up being 240-something pounds, and he ran like 4'6 at the combine, guys. Like, he has – Lucas Van Ness ran 4'5-something as a 270-pound defensive end. Like, he has talent there. Riley Moss ran like a 4 three, eight or something like that coming out as a, as a starting corner for him. So yeah, they might not be the national high four star five stars that you all kind of clamor over, but who knew who Cooper DeGene was coming out of high school? Well, Phil Parker did. And Phil Parker created him into a, not only all American corner, but a guy that at six, one, two hundred seven pounds is probably going to run four, three, eight to four, four, two at the combine. Well, if uh, he's actually not healthy, so he won't be able to run, but he would have run something in that ballpark so yes it's about i mean their thing is about evaluation and development and they're getting a different demographic of prospect than what you're looking for at notre dame but ultimately they're still talents that they're working with absolutely right and that's the key they're not turning dudes who can't play and before them i mean just you go through the list of tight height you know aj epinesa there they've been putting legitimate talented guys in the nfl they're good at evaluating the guys. Chad Greenway. Jack, Chad, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard someone tell me that Chad Greenway was one of the most absurd high school players ever, but he just played in like a low level and in, in some Midwestern right. state. I think it might've been right. Iowa, but then he goes to combine. He runs four or five, something It's like, right. yeah, they still talented. And, and, he just didn't know who he was. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, Ryan, that when you, when you look at it, it's like, it's about finding talent. And the thing is they have talent. There's nowhere on defense in 2024 where you look at and say, I don't know if Notre Dame is good enough talent-wise. Even a position where I thought was the biggest weakness 
if you can call it that, of the defense this year, and I think it's fair to call it that, is the Viper position. You're, you're talking about Jordan Patojo, Junior Chalamaka, Bubakar Traore, Josh Burnham. It wasn't a lack of talent this season. There were other issues that need to be addressed. A lot of four stars in that Exactly. Group. Yeah, and stars. so now moving forward, it's like, okay, if Jordan Patojo doesn't step up this year, then you've got Bubakar and you've got this guy and this guy and these other guys can step up and play there. And same yep. thing at linebacker. You're going to be young. You're going to have some young guy mistakes at linebacker this year, but you're going to be making those mistakes with really athletic, long athletic guys. Same thing at safety. You know, it, it, you know, we we expect Notre Dame to land a transfer safety here very soon, and that player is going to have a chance to come in and start. But it's not a guarantee. It's kind of, to me, it's right. more of an insurance policy because you do have some young talent there, and it's it's only getting better. But I mean, and and then the the weak the weak spot of the defense next year top to bottom depth chart wise is safety. But you have the best returning safety in college football as part of that depth chart coming back next right. year and save your Watts. And so it's a great place to be. And, and then if they're able to keep the coaching staff intact, which is still to be determined. I mean, NFL season is just now heating up. We saw a huge NFL news today with Mike Vrabel uh, being fired yes. from the Tennessee Titans. That's not going to be the last domino to fall. I'm not saying any of that affects Al Golden. It may not. I'm just saying like, we're just now getting into the the open season of NFL coaching moves. Hopefully Notre Dame can keep everybody together. If not, you trust Marcus Freeman to go out there and land the next guy to be able to thrive at that at that job. And so those yep. are the things you look at, Ryan, and say you, you feel like the defense has got a foundation a lot because of Marcus Freeman to go out there and continue doing what they did this season. It may look different in different years. Next year they may not yep. be as consistent as this year's defense was, but they make more plays. So at the end of the day, the numbers are similar. It may be something like that, but you feel like, okay, the foundation is there for this to begin to be the beginning of a trend of Notre Dame playing big-time defense. And honestly, that's not new. I think I think yeah. this defense took things to another level this year, but 12, they were a defensive-oriented team. 18, they were a defensive-oriented team. 2020, their defense had its, some moments of being really, you know, really good during the regular season. Uh, 2023, obviously the defense was really, really good. This isn't new. When Notre Dame yeah. has been good the last 15 years, it's been primarily because of the defense. The difference here is now I feel like because of the depth that they're in position to lose guys and still keep rolling at positions. Where in the past, it's like once you lost Khalid Kareem and Julian Akwara and Jerry Tillery and Dalen Hayes and 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 um, you know Romeo, not Romeo Akwara, I said Julian Akwara, Dalen Hayes, Khalid Kareem, who am I thinking of? You know, Gerard. Adi Kuba Ogandiji. Yeah. Yes. Once you lost yeah. him, it's like there was a big drop off from yeah. that to what was next. Now it's like, yeah, it sucks that you're losing. You know, JD Bertrand has been a really good player, but dude, you're replacing him with Drake Bowen or Kingston Viliyama Asa or Jaden Allsbury right. or Jalen Sneed, right? I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, it sucks you lose Cam Hart. He was brilliant, but you're replacing him with Christian Gray and Jaden Mickey. And it's like, dude, you're going to be fine. And yep. that's the difference, Ryan, where you are truly now replacing and reloading at positions well well, well it, it's the worst when you're it's the worst when you lose a player to graduation or to the nfl early and behind them is a less inexperienced and also less talented player right and, and in none of those situations is that happening really right like you're going to replace although you're going to lose experience at certain spots you mentioned jd you're going to get more talented like you are now, all due respect to jd bertrand was a very good player for Notre Dame over the last couple of years. But Drake Bowen is a better physical talent. So although he might not be experienced as JD this year, 
or if you would have came back in 2024, you are going to get more range. You are going to get more length. You are going to do that. Cam Hart's the one that you say, like, you know, he's 6'3", and it's going to run pretty fast. So, like, that's a big-time talent. But it's not like the talent drop-off from him to Christian Gray is one where you're like, oh, my God, I don't know what they're going to do. Like, I have no idea. You look at that and say, you're going to be just fine. So, yeah, for the most part, the guys that you're losing that are really good players, I mean, even... You know, Nana Safa Mensa to the portal. That was a good player for them. You're going to get more athletic than Nana this offseason. Like, you're going to get more athletic. Does that mean better in a vacuum? Not necessarily, because experience matters. But ultimately, if I'm going to lose experience, I want to replace it with talent, right? Like a higher talent, a higher upside player. And that's what you're going to do, man. Like, that's I'm, what you're going to I'm do. I'm not laughing at you, Ryan. I'm laughing because yeah. you're like, you're going to lose experience. I'm like, yeah, when Nana is your young dude at the position, yeah, you've got some experience on your football team because Nana was a fifth-year senior and he was the youngest part of the rotation. But to wow. your point, you, you, you're you sacrificing experience for more athleticism and better talent. Yeah. And, and they're not that, stuff. right. They're not. They're not losing like RJ Open's going to be a sixth year senior next year, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not exactly a baby. Josh Burnham's going to be a soft, a junior next season, right? And he's second full years as a defensive lineman. So right. yes, you're you're not exactly like being forced. And this is the point: you're not being forced to play Bryce Young next year. You're not being forced to play Bubakar next year. If Bubakar plays next year, if Armo Mukum plays next year, if Brandon Vernon plays next year, if any of those those freshmen play next year, it's because they've earned it, not because yeah. you have to play them. And that's that's the I mean, if Kingston Villamasa plays next year, it's not because you have to play him to, to the what and, you mentioned and, earlier. And, and, and it's he's all, earned it's it. All, yeah, and it's also not it's because I think people think you know guys getting passed over is a reflection of them. It's like. Dude, like, there's a world where Kingston, like, Drake could be really good, but it, Kingston might just be better. Like, he might just be in that situation, well, which the is good news how you is create those depth. two kids can play together. That's the right. one good exactly. thing about that is Kingston and, and Drake can – one can play Will, one can play Mike, and we can debate who's better at Mike, who's better at Will. And we'll have yeah. that conversation this offseason. But that's the other good thing is they're not just bringing out, like, these stiff, not movable – I mean, you've watched both of these kids with your own eyes, Ryan. These are athletic yeah. kids. These aren't just really smart, instinctive guys that don't run. That's what Notre Dame used to get. They'd get these really smart and distinctive kids who just can't run like other top top teams. And, and you look at who they're beating out for these guys. And look at yeah. who they beat out. They beat Clemson for Drake Bowen. They beat Ohio State for Drake, for, for Kingston, Virginia, Amasa. Drake, Drake had a Bama offer too, did he not? Yeah, I think that's he right. Did, yeah. That's right. So, so there's yeah. – I mean, you're, you're beating top teams for these kids. You're not just beating – you're not like getting some – stealing some kid from Boston College and that's all you've got at linebacker, D-line, and all those positions. Right. And that's the exciting thing about it, Ryan, is just that the talent is is certainly, certainly getting there. Is it where it needs to be completely? No, but it's you, you're not going to not win a championship over the next three years because you didn't have enough talent on defense. That that's that's not going to be the case. Right. Next part, Ryan, and and well, let's let's skip four and five the way that I had it before because five is more of a non-specific to Notre Dame thing. And let's just talk about money. And this mm-hmm. is another reason that I think Notre Dame is in a better place than they've ever been. And it's not just this offseason. We've had some issues with decisions Notre Dame has made in the past. They weren't willing to spend enough money. I know as recently as last year, there was some frustration yep. with the coaching staff that they had to go interview somewhere else before they could engage Notre Dame and, okay, I should get a pay raise and things <laughs> along those lines. Uh, but yep. what we've seen, though, is in a lot of ways, I mean, guys, Notre Dame is, and gals, guys, Notre Dame has spent billion a billion dollars about in the last decade building up the facilities around the football program. 
you think of the, what was it, the Crossroads project was like $400 million. You talk about all the renovations to the basketball facilities, all the, the indoor facility, which cost nine figures. I mean, they're getting close to a billion dollars in what they've spent building up the football program. And now a lot of those, and they're going to have another big project coming up on the Goog that's going to be at least eight figures, right, in yeah. renovating the Goog. And so they've spent the money when they felt that it was wor- a worthy investment. And, and that was a big part of the Brian Kelly era. It was kind of like, are we pissing this money away? If we give, if we do this, are we, are we really going to get a return on our investment? What I believe to be true is that the reason there's a commitment to this now that's gone be, even beyond what we've seen in the past to where they're willing to spend money on areas where they haven't been as competitive in the past. Like, so, well, we've always been top 10 or 15 in, in paying coaches. Like, okay, guys, but there's still a huge gap between you're just talking about the 10. We're not getting into the there's a bigger strength staff here and a bigger recruiting operator. Like that's part of staff. And yes, you yeah. were in the top 10, but there was a big difference between eight and three. Huge difference. You know what I mean? And now it's like, okay, you just made Mike Denbrock the highest paid offensive coordinator in college football. And Al Golden's not going to be very far behind on the defensive side. You're making the commitment. You to in order to get Lauren Landau to come here at Notre Dame, and we'll we, we'll find out if it's a good hire or not. And we'll talk about that more in a future show. But I do know this, it wasn't cheap. It wasn't right. cheap to get him to leave his business, his privately owned business with his name on the company. Like literally Landau is the name of the, the deal to come to yep. South in Colorado, to come to South Bend, Indiana, to run your strength program was not cheap. That's going to cost not just money for him, but he cares more about, okay, I need a bigger staff. I need a commitment to upgrading the facilities. Like you can't do what I do. With just the stuff we have here, we need to upgrade, and Notre Dame is committed to it. So we are yep. seeing a bigger financial commitment from Notre Dame in the last year especially than we've seen in a long, long time. And that's a big thing. That's not even something Lou Holtz had, because Lou Holtz had to fight the administration kicking and screaming his entire tenure. Yep. They were against the football team being good. I don't think the current administration doesn't want the football team to good be good. I've always had doubts about whether they were willing to make the commitments to the football team mm-hmm. being as good as they can be. I don't have as sure. many of those doubts now. And I think a sure. big part of that is Marcus Freeman. There's a faith that if we invest in him, he's going to get us back what we want. And that's something yep. that I think is, is, is factors into Because, like, Ryan, no smart business person should just piss money away because someone asked for it. Even if you think right. it would work in the proper circuit. I need to know that you're capable of being able to – to take this money and make it back with the product you put on the field, there's a faith in Marcus Freeman. And I think that's part of why you're seeing a much greater commitment to some of the things this stat, this administration has been a little bit more hesitant on in the past, which involves size and scope of the football staff and what they're willing to pay him. Improvement isn't cheap sometimes, man. And I mean, we talked about why why are you so excited about Marcus Freeman's? Because I think he has a higher vision than what we've been used to at Notre Dame as far as what the how to get to the standard. Because the standard never changes at Notre Dame and it never should. But ultimately, the process of how to get there is going to change under a new head coach. Should ultimately is. And there are certain things that we've talked about. We've talked about offensive coordinator higher this off. We talked about strength and conditioning higher this offseason. We talked about continuing to improve the facilities and be able to make it a very attractive place. I mean, and Chad Bowden wants Marcus Freeman to jump out of a helicopter. Like, that can't be cheap either, right? I mean, all those things together cost money. 
It costs money. In order to, to create that vision, work streaming has to be backed, right? And a lot of it's, I mean, support's great. Like, you know, a guy being like, yo, man, we have your back 110%. Well, if you have my back, I, I need you to be able to fork up some dough here to make sure that I can achieve my vision. I can be able to take that to the next level. So it's not big, it's not big philosophically here, man. Like there is a clear, at least, at least more willingness this off season to help Marcus Freeman try to take that next step, right? We've seen it with Mike Denbrock. We've seen it with coach Landau. We've seen now those next steps, hopefully. And I think that they're going to end up being a very good hires. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm very confident in the Mike Denbrock thing like that. That for me is like, I feel very good about the floor of that decision overall, but ultimately, I, I mean, what, what was the, what was the, the, the saying you, you, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. And I mean, they're taking shots, but in order for Marcus Freeman to take his shots, he needs a financial backing. He needs people to believe in him. He needs support. And it seems he's getting that ultimately. And the other side of it is also, and I talked about this, when the Mike Denbrock thing happens, I know we talked about it in general, but when you did that, you flexed your muscles as Notre Dame and said, we are here to play, gentlemen. Like, we're not here to just be a good team. We're not here to just compete and hopefully get a lucky year occasionally. We are pushing the envelope, and we are showing that we are Notre Dame. Because there was this crazy misconception last offseason, which sucked after the whole Andy Ludwig situation that Notre Dame was hurting for money. You made yourself look weak. You made yourself right. look broke. You made yourself look like that. Broke is too harsh. Right. But you need you made yourself look like you were hurting you made yourself for look money. Tight, like you were not, yes. or or you were just you didn't think the football program is worth spending it. When in exactly. reality, Ryan, it was never that they didn't even it's it was never even that they weren't willing to spend that kind of money. It's it was incompetence in regard to they were uh, they didn't know that's what it was gonna cost. Right. And then kind of balked at first because of the circumstance, and then circled back a willingness to pay it later. And it just was the process was just a joke, right? Mm -hmm. But they, I mean, I could just say this a year ago. I was told that Mike Denbrock was basically going to be impossible to get because of the buyout and the what the salary demands he would have. And then a year later, after his track record is even better. It's like, no big deal. We're doing it. That's the guy we want. That's who Marcus Freeman wants. That's who we're going to go get. It has been a long time since we had that vibe at Notre Dame, where it's like, what do you need? Okay, let's do it. And it's not, I mean, it's the school, but it's also what I think last year did, and this is this is me reading the, the, between the lines of some conversations I've had. I think what happened last year with the donor class is, hey, guys, okay, we understand what you're telling us about how it all happened, blah, 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 whatever. But here's the reality of it. That should never be a question at Notre Dame. Just so we're all on the same page, if, if this is what it. you got to do to go get a coach, yeah. it will make it happen. Right. That was made very clear to Notre Dame. The, the, like, the, there's, the, everybody's on the same page now. Okay, if this isn't really what happened, okay, we'll take your word for it that it wasn't that you couldn't pay the money or didn't think you had the money. It's the circumstances and you didn't know this and then they came back later and this and all this other bull crap. Fine. But this never happens again. We're going to do whatever it takes to win. And you can never use money as an excuse not to give the football coach what he wants. Because that's the other thing is there's a lot of – Ryan, you know the people that I know on this one. There's a lot of donors I know, including people who have names on coaches' plaques. You know what I'm saying? Like the so-and-so position. I know those guys, right? They love Marcus Freeman. 
Yeah. And they think he's got the chops. And they're like, look, he may not end up being it, but we're never going to be able to use the excuse he doesn't have the resources. We're going to make sure that there's never an excuse about him not having the resources. That comes to NIL. That comes to money on coaches. All those things. Because as, you know, should I tell this? Should I tell the Jeremiah Love story now? Because it kind of factors into this conversation. I said I was going to say it. So when all the portal stuff was happening, because I, 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 uh, I told him I was going to get him back for this, but this is what J- Jeremiah Love's dad did to me. It's very, very mean. Um, so there's all these, you know, Braylon James had transferred, and, you know, we were told, so, like, we're doing all of our due diligence because, like, we talked to Braylon James' family, and they're like, he's not transferring. He's not going anywhere. And then I'm on the phone with his dad, and Braylon announced he's transferring, and his dad didn't know what was happening, right? So it's like, and now you start hearing these rumors. You're like, I'm following all this up. Right. So we hear a rumor about Jeremiah Love and we were surprised by it. We thought it was kind of bull crap. But I'm like, look, I got to I got to make a phone call anyway. So I called Jeremiah Love's dad, who we got to know very well. Ryan, you got to know him extremely well during the recruiting process. And then I got to know him a little bit later. Great guy, you know, and and, and very supportive dad. And I call him. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm calling. You know, the rumors are out there. And he's like, listen, B, I got I got something big for you, man. And I'm like, oh, crap. And he starts going on this like five minute rant about all the money that's being offered to Jeremiah. Now I know this to be true because I know someone at a school that's throwing a lot of money at Jeremiah to come yeah. there. And we know what the numbers were for him in high school. As a recruiter, and what yeah. I'm being told is the money that's being offered him now to leave Notre Dame is even greater than what it was in high school. And his dad starts going on all these tangents. And his dad says two things to me. Then he goes, you know what? And Notre Dame's not lifting a finger to help him with money. And now that they've revoked the ability to, you know, to ride the scooters, that's the final straw, man. <laughs> He's staying. Yeah. Yeah. And I pause. I'm like, hold on. What? He's staying? And he starts just laughing hysterically. Oh, I got you so good. I mean, and like, my heart has already sunken. Like, I'm borderline about to have a cardiac event. You know what I mean? Because he's telling me all these reasons why he's Jeremiah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the fan base is going to lose it. They're going to – I mean, this is just going to be the worst offseason ever. And then he's like, he's staying. And then he just busts out laughing. And I told him payback is coming. But the thing he said was, he goes, no, he goes, no look, part of that was true. All these things that I told you about what schools are offering him is all true. He's like, but yep. Notre Dame has done enough where we're comfortable. Yes, there's more money to be had somewhere else, but when you combine the value of being at Notre Dame with what Notre Dame is already doing, and Jeremiah's yeah. not even a starter, he's like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're comfortable. And so, but that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. Notre Dame kids are getting paid. Yeah. Like, they're getting paid. And and they're doing it in a way, to me, that's the right way to do it. Like, there's there's a give and take. Hey, we're going to give you this, but we need you to, you know, be a spokesman in a certain ways for this and do type of different type of things. And so those type of things, Ryan, you're, you're seeing that's another commitment where the donor class, the fan base needs a little pat on the back for this as well, because they are stepping up to the plate and saying, look, we're going to do it the right way, but we're going to take advantage of this NIL stuff. And we're going to make sure that our players aren't leaving just because they now some guys are going to leave because they're just going to take the biggest dollar no matter what that that's going to happen. There's there's going to be some guys like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, OK, cool. If they want to leave for that, then let them leave for that. If they don't understand the value of being here and what's in front of them. Then then let them leave. And there's going to be some guys like that. You and I know of a couple of guys that did that. And and parents weren't necessarily on board. But nowadays, people are going around the parents in a lot of different ways. It is what it is. 
But most of the vast majority of these kids understand, like, look, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in Notre Dame. And that's mm-hmm. what people don't understand, Ryan, is Notre Dame's never going to offer what some of these schools are offering, but they don't have to. And the reason this yeah. NIL stuff, now that Notre Dame is willing to compete in this in this universe, the school's allowing it, and the donor class is stepping up, and the former players and different people are stepping up, what it means is, is those schools have always been paying players. Bama's always been paying players. LSU, Auburn, Clemson, they've always paid players. But now Notre Dame can pay players. And now that puts them on a, on a level with certain players that they were never in before. Because you and I both know, over the years, there have been players that wanted to come to Notre Dame, but they were also kids that came from very disadvantaged situations where they couldn't look their mom and dad in the eye and say, I'm turning down six figures to go to Notre Dame for free. Now, those kids in those situations can look at mom and dad and say, I'm going to Notre Dame and accomplishing all the things that we said we wanted, to, we wanted me to accomplish, but I can also take care of you guys. And that puts them in a level that they were never in before. And this is something that you and I said too, Ryan. NIL, if Notre Dame embraces it, can they can do it the right way. I never wanted to be about using it to just bribe kids to come. But if Notre Dame can start giving money to kids on the team, it changes the game for Notre Dame. Changes the game. Because they're always going to be able to to, to, to add things and, and or, or to offer things that other schools – there are certain things Notre Dame can offer that Bama, no matter what, how hard they try, can offer. They can't offer the universal degree that Notre Dame can. They can't. Yep. They can't offer the network outside of football that Notre Dame can. Some kids that doesn't matter to. To Keon Keeley, that didn't matter. His thing is football. But to a lot of top kids, the Jeremiah Loves, the Jaden Greathouses, the Cam Williamses, yep. the Gerby Lamberts, the Kingston Villalamasas, the, the Deuce Knights, the Charles yeah. Jagasaws, those things matter. Those yep. are elite players to the Benjamin Morrisons, to the Christian Grays. Those things matter. And now they're able to be on that sphere where when schools are offering Jeremiah Love and Christian Gray and these players money, they're like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good here because they're taking yep. care of me, but they can offer me something you can't. And it's changed the game for Notre Dame in a way that a lot of people thought was going to hurt Notre Dame because I think they're trying to do it right. And so to me, Ryan, that's another reason why talent acquisition has mattered. So just the financial situation at Notre Dame, to me, it's there. there's a greater willingness to spend. There's a greater yeah. support than we've seen for whatever reason. But at the end of the day, the fact is Notre Dame is competing They'll never have the best facilities. Doesn't They don't need to. They just need to be in the conversation. They're never going to have the highest paid coaching staff. They don't need to. They just need to be in the conversation. And those things matter. And, and to me, if that, that, that is a big step towards why I think this program is, is on a better position to compete than they have been for a long time. Well, I mean, it's, it's cause people are always going to ask, you know, what's going to keep kids there. And I, I ultimately think that Notre Dame is creating data points for recruits as well right now. It's like, hey guys, yeah, um, we, you know, we may have not given Sam Hartman a two million dollar payout in the front, but you know what he ended up making at Notre Dame because of what our brand can help provide him. I mean, like that money is out there. What was Isaiah Foskey able to to gain at Notre Dame financially? What was Michael Mayer able to make financially at Notre Dame? You're starting to get a lot more data points, which again, as you continue to. Because I don't know what's going to happen with the NIL situation. I have no idea. I don't know if there's going to be things that are outlawed. 
called. I don't know if there's regulations that are going to be in at some point. I have no idea. Maybe it just says the stays the Wild West for the rest of the rest of the time, and we just get used to how it is. I, I don't know what the next step is for NIL, but ultimately, if it stays the same as it is right now, which is unfortunate in certain situations, Notre Dame needs to continue to collect those data points. Man, these players, this player, that player, those players. They make money at Notre Dame, man. They do. It's been proven. They're going to work with collectives. They're going to work with, you know, obviously, you know, they're going to be able to independently as student athletes be able to work with this, you know, this organization and this, you know, this spot to be able to make those types, that type of money as well. So I think it's, I think the transparency you saw from Sam Hartman specifically, I think that was great for Notre Dame. You know, like right now, CJ Carr, Deuce Knight, and those cats they look at Sam Hartman and say, oh, Sam made a lot of money. I can make a lot of money too here at Notre Dame. I'm a big-time quarterback. What's what's stopping me from staying or going up north to South Bend to make a lot of money and play high-level football? So, yeah, I think the transparency too is like a big thing of we know that these kids are making money. We know it. Before, it was like everything's hush-hush, right? Like everything's hush-hush. But now we know. Sam Hartman's making money. We knew Michael Mayer made money. We knew Isaiah Foskey made money. We know Kyle Hamilton in the first year of NIL. Yeah. Yeah. So we know they are. I mean, we got, we got kids now starting podcasts and, and, you know, creating money streams that way, working with companies directly, making things that way, you know, the collectives and all these types of things. This is different revenue streams for them to be able to make money while playing football at Notre Dame, which are, good in the rules right it's the right way to do nil and i think that that has purpose and that matters moving forward right and and the fact that notre dame has to do it differently ryan does kind of weed out the kids ultimately you don't want and it's not that there's bad kids it's just the fact is is if you have to buy a kid to come after a year he's going to do one of two things he does well and he's going to want more and if you don't give it to him he's going to leave and if he doesn't play then he's going to jump in the portal and look for money elsewhere anyway. I mean, what was the whole re- – why did Caden Green leave out Oklahoma? He goes there. He starts as a freshman. He's a freshman All-American. Yeah. Uh, why? He left Missouri for one re- – to go to Missouri for one reason and one reason only. They offered him a lot of money. That's it. He wants to be at the zoo, man. He wants to be back to yeah. the zoo. I mean, he, he wants to be he, there. Yeah, It was money. You know, yeah. it, it's like why the heck is Quinshawn Junkins leaving Ole Miss? Money. I mean, it just, it's just the, the literally the president of Ole Miss said that they're not going to overpay for a running back. Literally, he said that a few weeks ago. Right. And he's gone. It's like, <laughs> yeah. in fact, we're having this conversation. So go, go to Ohio State and be the number two behind Travion Henderson. That's fine. Well, Whatever I think Travion might end up leaving, but we'll see. I, well, some yeah, I mean, he said he's going coming back, but if he, you know, I yeah. think he should have left. I mean, with his injury history, if, like, I think he should go. Well, but whatever. Well, if, well, if Ohio State's but, paying big money to two running backs, then they are fundamentally probably a flawed football team anyway. But that's 100%. For another 100%. Day. Yeah. So you look at it, Ryan, and, and, and what you do by doing it the right way is you make, you, you give yourself the best chance possible to make sure you have kids that are committed for the right reasons and to where, yes, they want to get paid and they, they should, cause that's the universe we live in. Right. But it's not the end all be all. It's not, right. I'm going to go where the, you know, NIL lets you know that Jaden Rashad is not worth your time because you're not just going to flat out buy a kid because then he's right. going to come and what well, if he does well, he's going to hold you over to Coles. Hey, if you don't give me more money, I'm jumping in the portal. I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't need that noise. I don't, I don't have time for that noise. I mean, when kids come to Nick Saban about that, you know what his answer is? Bye. Yeah. Right. I mean, cause he can do that. 
Notre Dame needs to make sure they don't put themselves in that game. You know what I mean? Yep. And so as best you can, it's going to happen. You're, you're going to have kids sure. that that happens with. But at the end of the day, you know, I look at it and say, you're, you're, you're the way that they're doing it. If a kid's not willing to come because you're not giving them enough money, that's okay. That's not yep. the, that's not the avenue you need to be going down. And so uh, the money's the part. And then let's talk number five, Ryan. And this, because this all ties into number five, the changing landscape of college football. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a, a greater parity that exists now. I don't know how long it's going to last or any of those type of things. And that's why this window for Notre Dame is so important to put themselves into that level because no matter what the rules are and what they become, if Notre Dame's competing for championships, they're going to compete on the recruiting trail. That's been true for 30 years. I mean, best recruiting class Notre Dame had in the last 10 years, 15 years, was the 2013 class. That class was put together when? During their 2012 undefeated season. It's not a coincidence. Sure. Right? And so when you when you win on the field, right, you think of the Brady Quinn class and of Jeff Samarja and Ryan and all those great players in that Brady Quinn class. When did that class get put together? During the 10-0, start to the 2002 season of year one of Ty Willingham. Guys, it's not a coincidence. Look what Charlie Weiss did his first three re- full recruiting classes because they won his first. They put a top three five class together in a year that they went three and nine. Why? Because of what they did the two yep. previous years where they won. And when Notre Dame wins at the highest level, they can bring in top players. So, But they've got to take advantage of now, and then whenever the rule change, they're in a better position to adjust however that is. But the reality is, as I mentioned to you before the show, you go back and look at Alabama and Georgia's 2012, 2023 classes, 22 classes that were ranked second and third. We already talked about the number one class. That's Texas A&M. That class has been decimated. Georgia's already lost 10 kids from that class. Bama's lost, I think, eight or nine kids from that class. Some of them are pretty good players. And it's just like, yeah, Notre Dame's going to lose their fair share of kids too, but those schools are losing more and they're losing them for different reasons. And right. Notre Dame's not losing as many of those kids for whatever reason. Now that may change, but it's going to hurt them. It's already hurting them in my opinion. Yeah. And 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 what it's doing is is while Notre Dame is ascending, these other programs are slowly starting to descend a little. Now they're still the best. Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, they're still in the top echelon of of programs when it comes to the talent of their rosters. That's true. Texas is getting up there very quickly. But Notre Dame now is, you know, it's like Notre Dame and Texas are kind of two programs, especially that I think are just kind of quickly gaining on those teams when it comes to talent. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Maybe they're not there yet, but they're gaining quickly. And that's that's a big part too is there's just NIL is creating a little bit more parity. And to a degree we expected Mm -hmm. it. But it's also hurting some programs, you know, because now you're still Georgia Tech and you have this great season, but now you got to worry about holding your team together. You know, Vanderbilt's yeah. become a feeder system for every other team in the SEC. You develop this really good receiver, and he just leaves and goes to Georgia, and he or just leaves and goes over here, Colorado. One kid's going to Colorado, right? Another kid's leaving for Georgia. That's the reality mm-hmm. of it. And what that's doing is, is that's creating a little bit more parity where a team like, you know, Michigan recruits well, but they've had some very important transfer pickups that have helped solidify certain positions, offensive line, linebacker, some spots like that. And, I mean, their cornerback op, if, if Josh Wallace doesn't transfer to Michigan this year, I don't know that they're playing for a time. He wasn't a great player, but he was a good, Who's solid that? player. That, uh, Josh Wallace, the kid, the corner. 
Didn't transfer last year, right? The kid from UMass. Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know who that is. Okay. Yeah. It's their starting yeah. cornerback op- opposite Will Johnson. You know, mm-hmm. so um am I getting the name wrong? No, it's oh no, you're probably yeah, right. I just I just haven't paid any attention to him. No, yeah. all good. Um, so he's a kid that came from UMass. And so it wasn't considered like that great of a pickup, but he was a really steady, solid player that helped them, you know, solidify. He again, he was just a solid player, but if he's not there, the drop off is pretty big. And Notre Dame's in that position too, where the portal's been good for Notre Dame. I, I don't know that we're having the same conversation of, I mean, I know that Sam Hartman was disappointing for what the expectations were, but Sam Hartman still did some things that allowed Notre Dame to be nine and three this year that I don't know if they are nine and three if other guys play a quarterback. I looked at next sure. year. Is my optimism about about Notre Dame as high as it is? If if we're talking about what's Angeli or Minchie or Carr gonna do, as opposed to having Riley Leonard. I don't know that it is. Look, I mean, what would Notre Dame have been this year on defense if they don't have Javante, Jean-Baptiste, and Thomas Harper? I mean, so they're not doing the numbers that other are, but it has helped them. That has allowed them to pick their spots, and you look to next year, the additions of Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins. You land Jaden Harrison. If he only helps you in the return game, that's a benefit to you because now Jadarian Price can focus more of his attention on being a dude at running back with Jeremiah Love, right? Those two kids can yep. focus on running back. You know, you look at RJ Oban. It helps. It helps gives you gives you Ryan to me a base a higher baseline. Because if RJ Oban's not your dude at defensive end, it means somebody had to beat him out because you know who he is. And that's the right. thing is where the portal, NIL, all these different things has helped Notre Dame narrow the gap. And because it's not only lifting them up, but I believe it's also bringing some of the other top programs down a little bit. And there's other yeah. factors why there's more parity as well. But you can't dispute that the portal and NIL aren't big reads. Like, Bama has some other issues going on, right? But these are the primary ones. Same with Georgia, things along those lines. Those are the primary reasons. And there have been some recent hires at Notre Dame, at Oregon, at some other programs, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, that have changed the game because those guys are dynamic recruiters. Whatever you think of Dan Lanning as a coach, the fact is the guy's one in two years and he's recruiting his butt off, right? Steve yep. Sarkeesian is recruiting his butt off at Texas. Marcus Freeman has changed the game at Notre Dame. That has factored into it as well. It's not just Porter and NIL. Some of these teams are making good hires that are allowing them to be more competitive in the, that sphere. And I think that's a big factor in this as well, right? Let me look at what Judd Fish is doing at Arizona, right? Like that's changing the game in certain areas. So some of these coaching moves in the last couple of years have impacted this stuff as well in a big, big way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first point is that I talked about on, you know, before the show with you a little bit, it's just, you know, for a long time, it was kind of a running joke that like, you know, the next Alabama guy is even better, right? Like I remember there was a time where you had, we were starting inside linebackers at that point. It was like Reggie Ragland and somebody else. And it's like, huh, you lost Reggie Ragland. Here's Ruben Foster. Like, okay, cool, man. A former five-star that didn't even start until he was a true junior. Like that, that stuff happened so frequently at Alabama and it's going to happen less frequently. I mean, it just is like those guys are going to be less likely to stick around and be able to wait their turn per se. Like you don't have to wait your turn when you don't have to, when you're not penalized for it, you can just go to next school and you don't have to sit out a year. You don't have to wait and be the next in line. You could just be the in line guy right now. And it's a, I think it's a, bad idea for some folks and i think that's a little bit misguided at times but ultimately they do have that prerogative that if they want to do it 
they can certainly do that. So that's going to hurt the depth overall at the top, which again, again is why, why was Michigan able to win this year? I think it's because they had as good a depth as almost anybody in college football. I mean, they had depth. Were they as good at, against Georgia? Like if compared to Georgia, are they as good in certain situations, uh, certain positions? Absolutely not. But what they were when it came down to it was they were the more balanced team in the national championship game. And that helped them win. They were the more balanced team. They had less holes and they were able to figure that out. And I think that that is going to, that's the level, that's the ideal level of parody, man. Like that's the, that's the ideal scenario because you're talking about a team that is able to win a championship just based on being solid because the elite teams, the teams that had high level talent everywhere are coming down to reality a little bit. I mean, it was just two years ago where I'm like Georgia, Jordan Davis, Devontae White are in the game. Here comes Jalen Carter and Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson and all these dudes. Georgia's not even the same as that just two years ago. I mean, after that, mm-hmm. it's like you just got some young cats that are extremely unproven that you have no idea. So, yeah, that parity has certainly increased, and I think it's hurt the depth of a lot of schools. Well, Ryan, like I, last night I kept hearing this thing about, like, look, I'll, I'll jump all on board this notion that some of the past national title teams would have smacked Michigan last night. Like, 18 Clemson, 19 LSU, 20. But the route is they would have smacked anybody in college football this year. Anybody. Michigan didn't have to play those teams. They had to play this year's version of Bama. They, they You know what I mean? And, and it's like, well, Georgia this year would have smacked Michigan this year. Based on what? Like, did you watch Missouri run all over Michigan? I mean, Georgia, did you watch Auburn run all over Georgia? Did you watch Georgia Tech run all over Georgia? Right? Did you watch Alabama bully Georgia's defensive? Guys, this isn't last year in two in 2021 Georgia's defensive line. This team can be run on. This team would have been out. Look, guys, Bama bullied Georgia. Georgia got bullied, or Bama got bullied by Michigan. Right? Like, again, if Michigan doesn't turn the ball over and do a bunch of stupid things in that game, it's not an overtime game, Ryan. It's not. Michigan was the the better team in in most most aspects. This wasn't some fluky game. Where, you know, that they got lucky to play Georgia. Could Georgia beat Michigan? Sure, they could have, but Michigan could absolutely beat Georgia as well. And this notion that, well, you know, Michigan wouldn't have been able to do that to Georgia based on what, guys? Like this, you have to look at who these teams are now, not who they were two years ago and last year. To your point, right? There's no Jalen Carter at, at, at Georgia this year. There's there's no Jordan Davis at Georgia this year, right? And, and, and they're a different team. And and the, the fact of the matter is, is Michigan earned it. I mean, look, I forget the cheating. I mean, that's all a part of it. But like when you look at once they got past that, the cheating thing had already broken when they played Penn State. They weren't they weren't stealing signs against Penn State. They just physically kicked the crap out of Penn State. They weren't stealing signs against Ohio State in the way that they were before, if you believe that to be true, which I do. They physically, in the second half of that game, whooped Ohio State's butt in the trenches in the last quarter and a half of the football game. They made plays. The Buckeyes didn't. They tried to piss that game away against Bama early, but then battled back. Bama takes a lead, and in the fourth quarter and overtime, Michigan beat them up in the trenches at the end of the game. Same thing last night. They mm-hmm. that was a Joe Moore Award winning offensive line for, for. There was a kid like their center was undersized. Their left guard's huge, and all night, yeah, their left yeah. guard's a big kid. And all night they're driving that guy to the backfield. So it wasn't like they took that undersized center and kicked his butt, who's their backup center. They took one of their starters all year, oh, Brailsworth, thirty pound kid. 
The left guard. What's his the center? Name? Give me some. Oh, I was talking about the center. I was talking about the, the center. The center's undersized. Yeah. He's going to be um, good, though, yeah. man. He's going to be a really good player. Right. But, but my, my point, and he played well last night. My point is they didn't beat yep. up some 280-pound kid and push him around. Yep. They were taking their left guard, who's 330 pounds, and pushing him around. Right? Yep. And and so, like, that was an earned victory. However you feel about Michigan and the cheating and all that, you can't dispute sure. the fact that they went out there and they coached their way into success. They had great scheme, both sides of the ball. I mean – their run game is as well schemed as there is in college football, right? I mean, just some of the things they do uh, with their split flow zone and their duo with the wrap coming around to get numbers and and just the. I mean, Washington hadn't given up a. Uh, they had like one one rush of forty yards all year coming into the game last night. By the end of the first quarter, Michigan had two forty plus yard rushing touchdowns already in the game. By the same player. right, like yeah. yes, yeah. who hadn't done anything? All, I mean. That's the thing is you 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 can say whatever you want about Michigan, and I despise that program. But you can't sit there and say that that even though you could say they didn't belong in the playoff, that's a different conversation. But when they got there, coaching mattered. Depth mattered. Having talent yep. at the right positions mattered. And and that's why they're the champs. And it just I just want to barf when I say that. But you can't take that away from them. And that's where Notre Dame has got to get to. But it's also evidence that a team like Michigan and a team like Washington and a team like TCU last year can get to the title game. It's different than it used to be. Because there was a stretch, Ryan, of several years where it was either Notre Dame, excuse me, it was either Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or LSU, or Georgia in the title game every year. Like, yeah. It was like 15, it was Alabama-Clemson. 16, it was Alabama-Clemson. 17, it was Alabama-Georgia. 18, it was Clemson-Alabama. 19, it was LSU-Clemson. 20, it was Ohio State-Alabama. 21, it was Georgia-Alabama. Right, It was going to be one of those four to five teams every year. Yep. Now it's like you've only had one of those teams in the title game in the last two years. Yep. Because again, you had TCU and Washington changing. in the game. Yes, you know? and Michigan, and yep. so who two years ago Michigan did not belong on the field with Georgia. I mean, Georgia kicked their butts from start to finish. Michigan has gotten better. Georgia is not that team that they now. They're still very good. Don't get me wrong. They're the they were the fifth best team in college football this year. They weren't one well sixth best in my opinion because Florida State still should have been there. So anyway, it's interesting, you, Ryan, to look at think, it. You think Florida State should have made the playoffs? Is what you're saying? Or I do. You think- I do. I do. That. I think short Florida State should have made the playoff. I think she should have been one of the okay. top four. Um, okay. But the fact is, is Georgia still a very good football team? This mm-hmm. isn't to say like Georgia sucks. Georgia could go out and win the title next year. It just means that that the Georgia is, that was here, it was like Georgia, Bama, Clemson here, and Ohio State here, and then there was like this group here, and then this group here, and this group here. Now it's like the, there's just there's more teams up here. Even if you accept the premise that Georgia is still the most talented and Bama's number two, even if you in Ohio State's number three, even if you still accept that premise, okay. But those teams aren't don't have the gaps that they used to have. They don't. Right. Ohio State definitely doesn't still have that gap because Michigan's kicked the crap out of them three years in a row. Like the score may have been close this year, but I'm talking about physically, physically kicked yeah. the crap out of them the last three years. That, you, you can't deny that. Right. I mean, Michigan, Michigan, like Michigan's football team didn't have the run like their basketball team had a few years ago. You remember when when they played Villanova in the title game a few years ago in basketball? That team was Xavier Simpson and 
um, you know, the, uh, uh, Mo Wagner and all that. Oh, no, no, that was the uh, that team was loaded. The one yeah. recently that they lost to Villanova, and it was like mm-hmm. Mo Wagner and Xavier Simpson and some of those guys. Well, part mm-hmm. of the reason Michigan got to the title game was because the highest seed they beat the entire tournament was number seven Florida State because there's all these upsets like number two North Carolina got beat and there just was a bunch up. Yeah. And then they get to the final four and they played Loyola Chicago. That they got Bama. Right, they got Bama. We all picked them to lose that game. They got they had to beat Bama to win it. They had to beat to what I felt was the team that was just. I mean, I've been banging the Washington drum all year. Picked them to beat Oregon both times. Picked them to beat Texas. Like that's a good Washington team. They went fourteen zero for a reason. And Michigan was without question from start to finish the better team last night. Now Washington made their run because they're a good football team, but Michigan did what they needed to do to stop that tide and to win the game. So, you know, we're getting into all this kind of stuff. The, the fact of the matter is, Ryan, the the base, the there's just more teams now for a host of reasons. Some of it's NIL and Portal, but also because there has been some coaching changes at big-time programs. You think about who are the top contenders, like the teams that we look at move forward. Washington, second-year coach. Texas, third-year coach. Right. Michigan's got the more, you know, Michigan and Bama had the two experienced coaches, Oregon, second year coach, Notre Dame and what they're doing. Second year coach. Like there's a lot of new faces at places, Ryan, that is also raising the game. It's not just portal and stuff is tearing these teams down. Other teams are also being are better now. Oregon's better now under Dan Lanning than they were under Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart. They just are. Texas under Steve Sarkeesian is I, I, I didn't see that coming. I'm not gonna lie to you. Steve Sarkeesian well, has changed the well, game. I, at I knew I knew it would be better than Willie Taggart, though. Willie Taggart sure. was awful, but yeah. Yes, <laughs> but more of Chris yeah. what we're referring to. You know, and because, and, I mean, they played for the big Pac-12 title the year before he got there. Got their butts yep. kicked, but he, they played for it. But he's, he's up the game. Yeah. <laughs> Don't disagree. You look at what Sark has done at Texas, right? You look at what, what, what uh, Kalen DeBoer has done at Washington. So like the game is being changed a little bit, Ryan, too, by some of those coaching hires at some big time programs. Now, how's, how's the, the conference realignment going to impact things? I think that helps Notre Dame because you look at the schedule for Michigan, Michigan was benefited from a very soft schedule. So the only big games they had to play were like the only games they had any shot at losing. That's a little easier to manage that in my opinion, than what you see George and some of these other, teams have to normally manage but you look at next year's schedules in michigan's got a michigan and washington get a rematch next year out in seattle they got to go to columbus next year right i mean i think michigan doesn't michigan also play oregon next year i could be wrong on that but the the schedules are tougher georgia's got a much tougher schedule next year texas you know has a much tougher no michigan and texas play next year too so uh it's uh it's going to be very interesting i think that helps notre dame as well in my opinion. Yep. So I do think parity is a, is a much bigger thing in the game. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We are going to have a mailbag next, but that's going to do it for our, our conversation. We Ryan and I got to get together and figure out like when exactly we're going to do part two of the show, whether it's going to be tomorrow or Thursday. We'll let you all know that. That's why, but Ryan, that's why they got to be subscribed, man, and hit that notification bell. Because when we do awesome. announce where we're going to do a show, you guys will get first first notifications for that. So definitely hit that hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Not just share it with hit the share button. That's obviously appreciated. Helps with the ag- algorithm and all and boost our channel. 
But also, if you have Notre Dame friends who don't listen to Irish Breakdown, let them know. they got to be checking Irish Breakdown out. If you're listening via podcast platform, please give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. And, of course, as always, Ryan, sign up for the message boards at boards on Irish Breakdown. <laughs>